Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Today's episode features violinist Alan Thomas. He's a busy freelancer, recitalist, and writer, as well as a teacher specialising in Alexander Technique. He's written a feature for The Strad's January 2022 issue, using case studies and musical examples about how string players can use Alexander Technique to achieve effortless expression in their playing. Alexander Technique is an extremely broad topic, and I even felt a little bad for asking Alan to condense his life's work into a 15-minute podcast episode, but if you're curious and require a bit of an introduction to Alexander Technique, have a listen to our conversation. Alan, Thomas, welcome to the Strad Podcast. Uh, We're here today to talk about Alexander Technique, and you're a violinist, but uh, also a specialist in Alexander Technique for many years now, and you've written a feature for us that will be in our January 2022 issue. So first of all, can you tell us, for those people who are perhaps unfamiliar with Alexander mm-hmm. Technique, what is it and how did you come across the principles in your own experiences? Yes. Uh, well, f- firstly, uh, Davina, let me just say it's a, it's a pleasure to be here to have this opportunity to talk a little bit about my work. That's the the dreaded dinner party question, what is the Alexander Technique? But I I will do my best. I think the the definition really changes on a daily basis. Um, The work is broad, but it's really learning to stop the unconstructive patterns of thought, um, which lead to, I think, an overall muscular tension, inappropriate tensions which have the ability to make our movement less free and to really inhibit our musical intentions. I mean, we're talking about music here. This would uh, apply to all aspects of our, our, our lives, really. But it's learning to get away from the habits that uh, really are limiting us uh, so that we can close that gap between uh, what we want to say, uh, certainly as violinists or cellists or string players, and just express ourselves as freely as possible. And I would say with as much fun as possible as well. I mean, music should be uh, something which frees us and frees the spirit. And uh, the Alexander Technique, I think, has uh, provided me and uh, certainly many other people the means to do this, to, to glimpse the possibility of harmony in our playing if I can be so bold as to put it like that. Like so many um, of my colleagues, I, I, you know, I, I went to music college. I was a student at the Royal Northern in Manchester. And I was always very interested in, in looking for ways to improve my own playing. Davina, you're a cellist. So I think you probably feel the same. Mm. We have this measure of obsession about things that can get us a little bit more, ten, another 10%, another 10%. Mm. And I spent my time, you know, looking at things like sort of yoga and, uh, and various other fairly rarefied Eastern regimes and uh, Zen. And as students, you know, we're exposed to, to, to so many of these things. But The Alexander Technique, I think, was mentioned to me. I I was very, very fortunate to lead a concert. I remember it very well, actually. It was for Michael Tippett. He was actually at the concert. And and I remember it was such a a special occasion, and I enjoyed the, the concert so much. But the head of strings at the time came up to me and said, well... I, I really enjoyed your violin solo. It was Tippett's Fourth Symphony. I remember it very well. But he said, I wasn't quite so sure about your stage manner. 
I think he said you waddled onto the stage and I can just imagine I was sort of swaying from side to side <laughs> with with this kind of, you know. And and it was at that point that, um, well, he suggested that I took some Alexander lessons to help me with this uh, aspect of my being. I didn't really realise at the time that there was a, a fab, fabulous Alexander teacher who was teaching at the college. And that set me on my journey to this incredible world of um, improving my coordination, my playing, and I would say, you know, so many other aspects of my life as well. Mm. Um, so that th- those were the beginnings, yeah. You mentioned the word waddle, which makes me think of walking <laughs> and makes me think of feet. But one thing that I really took away from reading your article is that it starts with the feet, the, the grounding. Can you tell me a little bit more about the role of posture and, and stance in terms of Alexander technique. Again, the dreaded P word comes up quite a lot. The Alexander work is associated with posture, but if we're going to keep, you know, with the word posture, I would say, well, let's think about our postural behavior because we're, you know, we're always in movement. But one thing that the Alexander teachers often talk about, they, they talk about the poise of the head and the freedom of the, of the head on the neck, etc. But over the years, I've started to really move my attention much further downwards towards the earth and, you know, the, the, the role that gravity plays in keeping us up. Um, we've got this sort of ground reaction force, which really supports all our endeavours. I think looking at some of the Uh, YouTube videos of the great violinists just to see some of the players that I would not otherwise have seen. I did actually see Nathan Milstein live when I was a student Um, but I'd never really seen Heifetz playing or or David Oistrach but to witness the I think the groundedness of these players they had such a sense of unity in their playing which started at their feet so I think that, you know, how we balance and how we regulate this sort of gravitational upthrust, I think, is absolutely central to being great players. I mean, Pinker Zuckerman, uh, we all know Pinker Zuckerman, he, he said himself, well, great playing starts at the feet. And of course, you know, he certainly embodies that tremendous support, as do many other of the great violinists. And we can all approach that, you know, no matter what our levels of capability um, are we can we can all take something from that yeah do you find that the approach is different depending on whether or not you're standing or sitting or do the same principles apply I, I think exactly the same principles uh, apply Davina we spend a lot of time I think uh, sitting if we're obviously in the orchestra or if you're a cellist yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> It reminds me of that uh, that Woody Allen film. Uh, um, oh, true. Long Reese. Yeah, <laughs> not the, always in, sitting yeah, in the marching parade. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> well, I think that it does apply. Another one of the main points that I wanted to bring out really was that the effect on our breathing. Um, breathing is pretty central. You could say it's central to the work of the Alexander teacher, although we we're all a little bit coy about talking about breathing because once you start mentioning things like this, then people start to sort of hyperventilate and and, <laughs> and and do all this kind of thing. But if you're sitting or if you're standing, you simply don't want to lose your length. You know, we, we, don't, we don't want to curve over into that sort of 
C-shape. Uh, and in just the same way, we certainly don't want that kind of over upright sort of um, military look. I mean, that's probably even worse, actually. Yeah, it's, that would be forced, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. We, I mean, force is the opposite of, of skill. Um, we, we're talking about allowing length, allowing a natural decompression, uncompression, mm -hmm. the, this pattern of shortening uh, from taking place. And uh, that, yeah, that applies as much to sitting as standing. Yeah. Because I imagine if you're sitting, you mentioned, you know, C-shape sort of spine, you run the danger of crushing your diaphragm. And I think yeah. there's a lot that string players, I think, can learn from wind players and singers about just lengthening right? Yeah. In my experience, I remember once I, I went to a masterclass actually, and I watched a guy play the first movement of Haydn D, cello concerto. Yeah. Terrible beginning. It feels like you're walking on a tightrope right from the start. Yeah, but I yeah, remember yeah. Um, the teacher said, just make sure you breathe, but didn't specify to breathe out. And so he breathed <laughs> in, he took a huge <laughs> breath in. But as he did, yeah. his shoulders just raised up to his ears and then he was holding the tension the entire time. And so I think after that, she was like, remember to breathe out. But I think that's that's really important as well, right? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point to make. I think that uh, that is what we don't want. I mean, breathing, like so many of the other natural functions, is something that we really have to allow to happen. So if we don't breathe, we breathe, if, if I can put it in that sort of paradoxical way. Mm -hmm. We do need to find a way of getting out of our own way, allowing things to happen, allowing the, the, the breath to come in, allowing, allowing length to, to stop doing the things that we don't uh, need, basically. Yeah. It reminds me of what you say, how it's all about what you don't do, as opposed to what you actually do and I suppose trying to make the overly conscious more unconscious is that right well it's it's one of those sort of um, zen-like riddles but we we need to stop the wrong things first you know we you know with the best will in the world I'm looking back to my own training as a, as a violinist uh, I had some really wonderful teachers but still, the things that I was doing, which I needed to get rid of, were still there. So I was sort of building this edifice on top of bad habits. So in my article, I talk a little bit about the basics of the basic of the basics, uh, the fundamental basics. I don't know how you, how you go lower than that, but yeah. it was it was really building on top of faulty habits. And I think however impressive they might sound or... Uh, however well explained they might be, or even demonstrated by some of the great, great violinists. It's very difficult to learn from something which is not uh, really quite reliable and accurate at the outset. Mm. Um, there's that wonderful story about Yasha Heifetz and his father, you know, who, would, who'd, who wouldn't let him the, the boy play or practice on his own. He'd, he'd always lock his violin case uh, just in case he he developed bad habits, you know, on his own. And I think it's uh, it's so easy to develop these habits and then, you know, you build up this tremendous structure, but there's a problem somewhere. And we, we see it in, in some of the, even some of the great um, instrumentalists, I mean, without being um, uh, sort of provocative, really, um, or uh, if we look at the violinist, say, Yehudi Menuhin, a wonderful violinist, one of my favorite players in actual fact, um, he had tremendous problems as he grew and he's, he, as he got older with his you know, problems with his playing that he tried to sort out I think not always in the right kinds of ways um, the musical intention was always beautifully expressed and uh, but I think if you look at some of the more natural 
violinist. I mean, I, I keep using Yasha Heifetz or Nathan Milstein or Oistrakh. There was a tremendous strength. They did the basics, you know, so amazingly well and so much better than than the rest, really. Um, well, I certainly had to go back and uh, and and look at some of this, and I'm still doing it. Um, so the basics, do the yeah. basics well, and with uh, you know, sort of a mindfulness, really, a sort of a three D mindfulness, really. I think it's like yeah. a house, isn't it? You've got to have a house with good foundations. Forget the swimming pool, just get the foundations. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and then if something goes wrong, you can go back to the basics and and sort of pinpoint what's happening rather than build upon these problems as you mentioned one last thing I just want to ask you you know if there was one basic thing that you like to start your practice with what would it be what sort of exercise well I would say look at how you get your instrument out of your case we do this we make this action you know sort of multiple times a day or every time we go to a rehearsal autopilot actually isn't it I think even down to like the order of clips that I do on my cello case I I don't even think about it well (laughs) that's just obsessive but I mean yeah (laughs) well I think just looking at the sensory you know really uh, feeling the the quality of the the wood, you know, not not losing sight of those very, you know, when we pick a beautiful pebble up on the beach, for example, you know, we we get a sense of its texture and its weight, um, and we have to be open to that. I think it's good to be to be reminded. I think of this kind of awareness. Um, so that's a start. The beginnings, the beginnings of everything, not to just sort of get your violin there and I'm ready to play the Brahms concerto or whatever, but really looking at all of the things that surround our practice. And don't forget the feet. Uh, that's the other thing. Don't forget yeah. your feet. <laughs> excellent. Excellent advice. Well, Alan, thank you so much for speaking to me about the Alexander Technique. Oh, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you, Davina. That was violinist Alan Thomas. If you want to find out more about the Alexander Technique, do check out Alan's article in the January 2022 issue of The Strad, which is out now. And where can you find it? It's on our website, thestrad.com, or you can order a copy from thestradshop.com. Don't forget to head to the website to check out the latest news and articles on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. Don't forget, we've got 50% off an online subscription for students. Check the show notes for the link. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. This is our last podcast episode for 2021 as we take a little break for the holidays. Thank you very much for tuning in, telling your friends, spreading the word. It's incredibly heartening to see people listening from all over the world to these conversations with wonderful string players. Episodes will return in the new year. Until then, wishing you a happy and healthy festive season. Take good care. Bye.